don't say a fucking word until we introduce you. I want. I'll mute myself. Chances I can do are, that with a button. Chances are this bit is going to be the intro bit. Yeah, we've we've had a bit of banter already. Yeah, there's already like. a bit of banter. Uh, so, so, but so, we need to intro the podcast. So now, Andy, intro music. <laughs> For future Andy to edit. Yeah. Nice. Okay. Yeah. Future Andy's going to throw that in there. Now. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, and welcome to Voice for TV. Hello, I'm Andy Cantalon. And I am Luke Oldham, and we have got an astonishing show for you today. If you've managed to stick through with us through all of the last episodes, you are in for a massive treat, because yeah. we have a rather special guest yes. on today's show. Yes, we do. He is a stand-up comedian. He's a a writer. He is an actor. He is a director. He's a poet. He's a Twitch streamer. He has a magnificent beard. Ladies and gentlemen, I don't care where you are or what you're doing right now, unless you're driving, this would be very unsafe. Please put your hands together for Mr. Jack Morrison. Woo! Hype music. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, what an intro. It sounds Um, like a sarcastic clap, but that's only because there's two of us. Welcome to the podcast, Jack. Okay. I was a little offended. <laughs> uh, we yeah, all, we you saw all... that on post make it sound like loads of people were clapping for me, yeah? Uh, <laughs> no. Joining us via uh, satellite stream, because of course it is the apocalypse outside. Yeah, we have Mr. Jack Morrison. How are you, Jack? I'm not bad. I'm not bad. I'm uh, currently cataloging through the stuff in my cupboards. I've sorted them alphabetically twice. <laughs> and now I'm thinking of organising them by their contents. Oh. So maybe how many grams they hold, I can have them descending order. Nice. You nice. should try rainbow style. That's always a favourite of mine. Ooh. Go by colour. Go by colour. I might try Either that. go by colour of packaging or by colour of contents. Ooh, the double. Yeah. I like it. I'm giving you so many things to do. So what we do, what we do here on this podcast is we are given. Uh, a, a, we each select, or we are fate selects for us. Yeah. A couple of topics couple that of we can go away, do some research on, and come back and have a go at educating our guests and our other hosts in that area. Yeah, and 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 hope we learn something. So this this time I have paranormal. To, to, you to drew the paranormal on. card. I paranormal card. I drew the drink card, so I'll be talking to you about drink. Amazing. Favourite subject of mine, and film, another favourite subject of mine. Yeah, and, and, and we've asked our guest, Mr. Jack Morrison, a.k.a. King Argoroth, to uh, provide another subject of his choosing. So uh, let, let's kick off, shall we? So, yeah, why not? Let's kick off. <laughs> So I'm going to start with drink because I have prepared some things, some visual and <laughs> I'm very, visual. I'm very, very format. nervous about this. Um, I'm just going to kick off. Like I chose to talk about whiskey to begin with because it's a favourite thing of mine. I, I'm a big whiskey drinker. Excellent. But I don't want to be that wanker who goes on about different malts and uh, the history of whiskey. So I've also... Uh, <laughs> I thought, let's change it up a bit. Let's talk about cocktails. Amazing. So I have prepared three whiskey-based cocktails for Mr. Andrew Cantillon uh, to have a little go at. And while don't, he's... don't full name me. Before, like the... 
This Mr. is Andrew Richard Cantalon. <laughs> Dick. <laughs> to, to have a little go at while I have some other little talking points cool. about each of the cocktails. Okay. I'll be talking to Jack. Jack, you come out with any questions. I'll do my best to answer them. Yeah. Uh, and meanwhile, uh, and then we'll shoot back to Andy. I thought for, for his thoughts on, on the whiskey-based cocktails. I, Luke has told me I don't need to drink all of these, Jack. I don't need to finish them off. But you'll, you'll be my witness as to how much I actually do get through. I'm, yeah, I'm gonna be. I'm a little jealous. I'll be honest. Like, I could have had a knock on the door, <laughs> a Tupperware box of these cocktails left out. I'm, I'm... What can I say, man? I did. I wanted you here. If I could have you here to drink with us, then I would. But um... you say us. Who's actually doing yeah, the drinking? No, hundred percent. Right. Uh, first cocktail. Yes. <laughs> this is a classic whiskey cocktail. Mm-hmm. Uh, these are none of these cocktails are the cocktails I have made before. I haven't oh, okay. even practiced making these. These are the first time I've made any of these cocktails. So the first one I've prepared for you is something I'm sure you've heard of before. It is a whiskey sour. Oh, I do like a whiskey sour. I've had a whiskey sour before. You had a whiskey sour. Have you not made one before? I've not made a whiskey sour before, no. You, you ask that like I work in a cocktail bar. I don't. Um, I yeah, am, but that you does like look whiskey? quite good. So, uh, now, whiskey sours usually have egg in them. Does this have an egg in it? Funny point. Whiskey sour, a traditional whiskey sour, does not have egg. Oh, okay. Uh, the one with egg is called a Boston sour, which is a variation on the whiskey sour. These are all classic cocktails. Right. Do, do you want to talk us through it, or do you want me to just see it off? Yeah, I'll talk, I'll talk about what's in it, first of all. Uh, so you can make these at home if you feel like it. Uh, I've used the same blended scotch mm. for all three of these cocktails. Usually in a whiskey cocktail, you get something like a bourbon or a rye. Cocktails became popular during the 1920s, during American Prohibition. Plenty of cocktails were invented before then, but that is when they really became popular because alcohol was illegal. Doesn't stop people driving to Durham if it's against the rules. So all the alcohol that was being produced wasn't of great quality. It was usually gin that was made in somebody's bathtub. Yeah. So to get it to taste good, they threw in a load of mixers with it, and that is when cocktails really became popular. Cool. So this should taste nice. This does taste nice. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, well, it should. So American whiskies are generally used in cocktails because they've got a bit more of a sweetness to them because that's the malt they use. Mm. Um, but I've used a blended scotch and I've done my research to find out which scotch blend whiskies work the best. This is one of them. Okay. Do you want to do, do? Do we want to know what what whiskey, what scotch it is? It's Johnny Walker Black Label. Okay. So it's a, yeah, it's a pretty decent blend. It's a lot of people drink it. It's not something that needs to go into a cocktail. And Scotch whiskey has to be made in Scotland. That's yeah, uh, yeah. That's why it's called yeah. Scotch. I mean, I mean, yeah. But you can it's make London, also, London dry gin. Can be made anywhere. It's also the um, the malt that is used to make the whiskey um, is usually barley with Scotch. Where in America, it's something like corn or rye. Right, Jack. I don't. I was going to say, I don't know if you can smell this, but obviously you can't. <laughs> this, it smells like pure ethanol. Really? Well, I've wow. got to say, it's an absolute masterstroke starting the recording session with this. Yeah. 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 Could have done the second. Decided very much against that. <laughs> so the ingredients for the whiskey sour, you've obviously got the whiskey. That's the predominant um, ingredient. There's also a simple syrup, which I made earlier today, which is just sugar and water. Oh. It's used a lot in cocktails just to get a bit of sweetness in there. And lemon. Cool. I've used the juice of a whole lemon and I've garnished it with a slice as well. 
That's, that's, okay, I'm, drink it. So it's whiskey, it. lemon, and Luke's own syrups. Yeah, yeah. Luke's syrup. Luke's, Luke's special syrup. Delicious. I've had that before. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, blimey. So all the ingredients, all the liquid ingredients go into a shaker, over ice, shake vigorously, strain into a, giving them a little tumbler. Oh, good God. That oh. good? Mm. That working for you? Mm. Go on, I'll, I'll try a little touch, why not? Oh, I mean, you can tell why it's called a whiskey sour. Oh, yeah, what? On the nose, you do get lemons, but the whiskey's definitely behind there, isn't it? Yeah. What cocktails do you like, Jack? What's your favourite cocktail? I like the ones with a lot of fruit juice in them, because drunk me likes to think they're healthy. <laughs> <laughs> See, whiskey and fruit... Doesn't go together. A lot of whiskey cocktails are whiskey and about two other ingredients. Well, we've got lemon in this. Yeah. And something floating on the top. That's that might be a bit of ice. Right. Um, we'll move on to the next cocktail because the ice in this one is starting to melt. Okay, look. So this is called a Rob Roy. Ooh. And it is its own cocktail, but it is a variation on a classic cocktail that you may have heard of called the Manhattan. Oh, okay. Never had Manhattan. Never had a Manhattan? No. So traditionally, Manhattan is made with bourbon or rye. Um, a Rob Roy is just a variation on the Manhattan using blended scotch. Cool. This does just look like just a glass of whiskey. It, that's genuinely just what it looks like. It, I, I can confirm it does. Um, in that, there is uh, two shots of whiskey, a shot of sweet vermouth. <laughs> and a few dashes of bitters. Right, just so it's, stirred it is just, over ice. It is just pure alcohol. Yeah. There's, there's nothing. There's 100%. No um, fun fact about nice. the uh, the Manhattan rather than Rob Roy, legend has it that it was invented in honour of Lady Randolph Churchill, uh, Winston Churchill's mother, uh, Okay. at the Manhattan Club in 1874 in New York. Why? I have no idea. That's just what it said Ooh. in my book. Nice. Right. That's... <sighs> what are we thinking about that one? I mean, again, that is delicious. It's, it reminds me, because one of my favourite cocktails, as you well know, is an old-fashioned. Which is why I didn't make an old-fashioned for yeah. this recording. Which is what I thought this was when I saw it, and I thought he's left out the orange. Or, uh, traditionally, the, the, the cherry. This should be garnished with a maraschino cherry, but would you believe how difficult maraschino cherries are to find <laughs> when there is a plague? Yeah, I, I, I think I wouldn't be able to find them in a shop with, like, even still pushed right in front of me. So, nope. my apologies for the lack of garnish. I think you should go pick your own. I've heard that's uh, quite a popular thing at the moment. <laughs> pick your own <laughs> cherries. I'll pick your fruit. cherries. Four. Right, okay. what's next? Uh, next one. Uh, this one I chose in honour of our guest because I know he likes an amaretto. Ooh, I thought it was whiskey based. This is a whiskey based cocktail. This is called the Godfather. Oh yes. God! It was oh, it was no. very popular in the 1970s, and it is just two ingredients stirred, <laughs> stirred over ice. It is just the whiskey and a shot of amaretto. Two shots of whiskey, two shots of our Johnny Walker. Oh. So I've chosen the Johnny Walker um, for scientific purposes, so we've got the same base spirit, and we can compare, and compare our cocktails accordingly. But Ooh. also, it is what I had in the house. Yeah. <laughs> That's fair. So you did a bit of research and thought, oh, lucky me. Yep. Nice. <laughs> I've got to say, he doesn't look pleased with this one. 
I mean, it smells. He's not had a sip yet. Again, smells delicious. You can just. I mean, you can mostly smell the amaretto. I'm gonna, not gonna lie. I think just... amaretto is one of the most underrated. Is it a liqueur or spirit that there is out there? Yeah, if you, it's just almonds. It's lovely. Put it in anything, and it just oh. makes it that sweetness comes out. That as you guys know, I'm a big fan of amaretto. I think because what it tends to do is, if you keep it overpowers most alcohols or flavors. Yeah. So it's really good if you just put like a little drop of it. It can really change the flavor of a drink. But it's so sweet and so Moorish. Yeah. I think the amaretto has made this drink really dangerous <laughs> because there is there's nothing but pure alcohol and maybe a bit of melted ice. There's like water from the melted ice. But I could just drink that. Like straight yeah. down. That is the amaretto has. I'd like to. I wouldn't mind trying the whiskey on its own just to see what. That I think that's gone a bit watered down because it is about thirty-two degrees out at the moment. Yeah, but, but it's still cold. It's still yeah. cold glass. Oh, it's oh. not bad at all. That so. Right. Uh, what are your rankings, Andy? Which one? Which one of those is your favourite? Right, I'm gonna have to try them all again, obviously, because there's still some I haven't seen them off. So. Mm-hmm. See, I do like the whiskey sour, but I've had, no offence, I have had better. Oh, how dare you. Um, but, but, yeah, oh, I don't know. Oh, I've just had, let's, so the Roy Walker, let's have a taste. The Roy Walker, it's a... It's, 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 it's nice. Rob Roy. Rob Roy. Roy Walker. <laughs> Where did... Using oh, Johnny what? Walker whiskey. That's right. So, I suppose. Uh, I got technically got... correct. Oh, my God. It's already hit me in the face. I really should have eaten before this. I wish... <laughs> Good God. This would make the rest of the podcast very interesting. Oh. This three cocktails is pretty much downed already. Oh, my God. So, that's six shots of whiskey altogether. I think The Godfather might be my favourite. Yeah. Which is really dangerous to be saying. I mean, that is also the simplest one there. Yeah. Oh. Okay, okay, let's go Godfather. Then the Sours. Then the Rob Roy. Then the Rob Roy. Only because this tastes very much like an old-fashioned, which is my favourite cocktail, but it's not quite an old-fashioned. Okay, so you're knocking it off a few points because it's... Because it's not an old-fashioned, basically. And and a lover whiskey sours. Whiskey sours is always delicious. There you go. These are all very simple cocktails you can make at home. Yeah. Jack, just just get some whiskey. You've already got the amaretto. I know you have. And have yourself a godfather. I've still mm, got most that's of true. I've got vodka. And if you wanna... The unfortunate thing is vodka and amaretto do not mix in any circumstance. <laughs> <laughs> Has that been rigorously tested? Oh, yes. I've tried it many a time. <laughs> I'm going to be. I'm not going to finish them off right now. I'm going to drink them during the course. Yeah. Uh, I, I would suggest that drinking a whiskey cocktail slowly is probably the best way to drink yeah. a whiskey cocktail. I, I mean, I am mixing all three drinks at the same time. I'm not going to drink them. I'm just going to drink them haphazardly. But they are delicious. Right? Are you ready? You ready for this? Yeah, the paranormal segment. Paranormal. This is the first paranormal segment we've had. I know. So I thought, keep it simple, you know? Just, like, go in straight for some uh, real ghost stories. Fun. Real ghost stories from real people. Now, I don't know, Jack, 
if you believe in ghosts, have seen ghosts, what's your experience with ghosts? So, I've always been extremely open-minded. And I think... when you, I'm a guy who fully believes there's no smoke without fire. And there are... Not necessarily leaning towards the ghost thing, but like when it comes to, say, psychic contact and spirits and stuff, I know there's a good 80-90% of... Um, people who are found out yet there are some strange things that happen that no one can explain I wouldn't necessarily classify it as paranormal but I do think there is a large part of the paranormal which can be explained by science that we've just not discovered yet right. Okay. How about, how about you Luke? It's a hard one I, I'm a complete sceptic cool. um, I don't believe in the paranormal um Someone once described it to me as I'm a sceptic, not a cynic. Meaning that I don't believe in ghosts, but I would really, really like to see one. <laughs> so you've not seen a ghost? I've not seen a ghost. My mum has, though. Oh, okay. Um, my mum swears blind she's seen a couple of ghosts. And she, other than that, would appear to be a completely rational woman. <laughs> so, I mean, I'm open to it, but no, I don't. Right. Well, I was. I don't anymore. But as a child, I was terrified of absolutely fucking everything. Right, everything. And and as a result, I I think it's as a result of the fear that I saw things late at night as a child. You look at that pile of laundry. You look at that pile of laundry. You think it's a thing. Yeah. yeah. But there are some things that I've, I've not never been able to explain away. Um, as being something else but other than a child's imagination running away with itself. Or a very sleep-deprived child, as I usually was, because I hated going to sleep, making things up and seeing things. So I once saw, what while my bedroom was being painted, I was sleeping in my mum and dad's room on a cat bed, and I saw a dark shape. No, 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 I didn't see that. <laughs> Because they're responsible parents and don't do that when there's a child in the room. I have met your parents. You kn- they they strike me as the the level-headed characters. Yeah, that they are. Cl- like clever. You know they're listening right now and just shaking their heads and going, "Oh, <laughs> sweet child." <laughs> well, they'd never tell me. If, if, they'd never tell me. <laughs> but I, I thought I saw a, a shadowy figure looming over their bed, and I was terrified of it. I vividly remember, because I used to have Winnie the Pooh wallpaper as a really young kid, and I remember waking up... By really young, do you mean 15? No, I mean yesterday. I I remember waking up and seeing it move, like the characters were walking around and talking to each other and waving and things like that. Bizarre. And there was this one other experience I had where I was, again, late at night, asleep, and I woke up and saw an uh, alligator or a crocodile head just through the wall, having, ha- just trying to trying to get to me. It was wow. just a head. But obviously, that's just the hallucinations of someone that's woken up, but too close to the REM state of sleep. Okay, I was going to say it's pretty right. vivid. Yeah, hallucinations. Vivid. So it's it's sort of like a um, what's the state that you go into? Where the um, there's a word for it. Sleep paralysis? Uh, I wouldn't say it's anything like that because I could move. I, I definitely don't remember being stuck. But there was um, 
and you can oh get... lucid dreaming. Yeah, it felt like it felt like a, a waking lucid dream. Like, I never that's... trust any ghost story that is told at the. You hear so many at the foot of the bed, yeah. or I've just woken up. Your your brain is still processing. Exactly, which is, I, but I as think... a child, it's so real. But just looking back at it now, you know. On a similar note, though, like um, often people think the paranormal is just the ghosts. I think the most paranormal experience I've ever had is. I went for a sleepover, a party at one of my friend's house, and he slept. Uh, he fell asleep. I got up to go to the bathroom, and I, I encountered his dad, mm. like who was also waiting for the bathroom. And then he turned to me and was like, Jack, just come listen to this. Uh, and my mate, he had a tendency to talk in his sleep. And they slept. His mother was talking to him in her sleep, and they were arguing and responding to each other but they were rooms apart, both completely flat out asleep. And he was like, I have to put up with this a lot. And then I went, so it dawned on me that these two are having a conscious argument that it doesn't make sense because there's no context to it, but they're responding to each other. I don't think they could hear each other. Were the words words they were saying, like, coinciding with each other? Yes, they were leaving pauses for each other. Wow. So it must, like, my, the rational part of my brain is saying that it was entering his sleep and then he was hearing it and in his dream he was having this argument. But he was saying it out loud and we don't often voice our dreams. But the dad was like, this happens maybe once a month and it's really weird and it freaks me out and I don't like it. That is really weird. And for me, that's the area of the paranormal I'm more likely to believe in is that the whole psychic brain, psychic... Yeah, connections, things like that. When it comes to ghosts and stuff, I believe with the amount of death the world has seen, with the amount of that kind of stuff, I cannot, cannot in any good faith imagine that there wouldn't be any empirical evidence yet. Yeah, but where where are the modern ghosts? Where are the people? Yeah. Like, and where are the where are the sheep? Where are the cows? Yeah. Where are the chickens? Where are the ghost chickens? I want a ghost dog. <laughs> I think. That's uh, cool. I don't want ghost chickens though. Can you imagine the one amount... just pecking at you? Well, can you you amount... ate me. Can you imagine <laughs> yeah. the amount of chickens that there would be? That... <laughs> yeah. be wading through fucking chicken <laughs> ghosts. Ridiculous. Pretty much every chicken that exists has got unfinished business, surely. <laughs> How much business are they doing? Right, okay, so back to the, the quotations, real ghost stories, right? Okay. Like post Andy, future Andy. Throw in the dramatic music that you've got Jack Smith to do for you. Do that now. An odd coincidence, Thundercrack. One winter last night. One winter last night. One night. One winter. Let's start again. Good, good Andy. start. Good start. Oh, you okay. know what? Maybe the cocktails at the beginning oh of the, the show wasn't the best idea after all. <laughs> good lord. It's like as an actor when you walk on stage and you you start the playoff and you get that first line wrong and you just want to go walk off and restart again. I never get my first line wrong because I always ask someone backstage what my first line is. <laughs> you know, yeah, that's Every true, time. you do. Every time. <laughs> Thundercrack, an odd coincidence. One winter night last year, I was hanging out with some friends at their apartment on Rivington Street in Manhattan's Lower East Side. I had recently learned that my great-grandfather Izzy 
spent a chunk of his teenage days in the LES, the Lower East Side tenement, which I brought up to the group. I wondered how close the tenement might have been to their place, so I texted my grandmother, Izzy's daughter, to see what she knew. She found his World War I draft card, and it listed the same exact address as my friend's apartment. Obviously, it's not the same building anymore, but it was still weird. Then, a few minutes after that, he heard someone knocking on my friend's door. Over and over and over again. They have a neighbour who complains about noise all the time, so we figured it was him. But when we opened the door, there was no one there. The knocking resumed a few minutes later. We tried to laugh it off, but we were all sufficiently shook. And now, of course, I believe in ghosts. Ooh. Creepy, right? Ooh. Mysterious knocking. What was the knocking? Ooh. Ghost knock. Ghost knock. I mean, I've got a few here, but some of them are quite long. Where have Uh, you found these? Uh, these are on GQ.com. These are stories from... Submitted by real people. By, by the editors of GQ. Well, okay. It's, it's them sharing their own stories. For I think it was a Halloween special thing. <gasps> the White Woman! Thundercrack! Oh, classic horror trope. On a snowy night before I was born, my aunt and uncle were driving home from my parents' house on a winding forest road in Ridgefield, Connecticut. That's where the white people are. That's where the white people are. (laughs) They took a sharp turn and saw a woman. They had to swerve to avoid her as they sped past. Something about it unnerved them. The woman was wearing this long white gown. Wouldn't she freeze in the snow? She looked pale. Creepy pale. So they turned around to offer her a ride to town pull up and got out the car out to look for her but she was gone the next day they told my parents about it who pulled out an old history book about the town they found out a hermit woman Sarah Bishop used to live in a cave in the same woods but would dress up in a long gown and come to church every Sunday a church not far from where my aunt and uncle over. She passed away in 1810 after she had an accident on a stormy night and eventually froze to death. That's the end of the story. That's the end of the story. Cool. I like that one. Mm-hmm. Um, for a few, like the idea of a woman in a white gown being a sort of spectral figure is something that appears in a lot of folklore. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, usually it's something to do with a woman who was jilted at the altar or died on the eve of a wedding night or yeah. something like that and the long flowing gown is usually bridal dress but this is just her best dress that she went to church that she went to church in after living in a cave um, I like that you know they were apparently concerned with recording history enough in Connecticut in a very young country at the time oh yeah enough to record that this mad woman lived in a cave I well, don't, I mean, she could be more saying than anybody. I don't know why she's mad because she lives in a cave. If they're gonna, if they're gonna record anything, it'll be those people. Mm. 
I've got one more. Okay. One really short one. And I'm pretty sure this one was written by someone that is a sceptic. Something in the woods! Thundercrack! There's this really creepy and supposedly haunted road outside my hometown of Syracuse called Whiskey Hollows Road. Oh, I'm moving there. Very apt for, for the drinks. Kids would all go there to drink or smoke weed out of an apple or whatever. They definitely did that. This, the person that wrote this. One night, when my friends and I were there, we all freaked out. We thought there was some sort of monster or ghost or maybe a serial killer skulking in the woods, but it turned out to be a bear. <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. I love that one. I love that one. They were so high. Occam's razor, people. They were so, so high. I love that. They pissed I, up. Eyes are kind. I think and they, they heard a bear and thought it was I thought it might be a ghost. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think with, um, with ghost stories, it's often interesting if someone start let's say that first story you told they they found the background and then the spooky stuff happened and i think often what we do is we find the spook the background and it's in our heads and then you see and then we start associating things we wouldn't usually associate with horror with spooky stuff so i often like i'm quite very skeptical of those kinds of looks i think the second story the looks of you find something and then go and investigate and that's where the horror comes from. Yeah, They're yeah, the ones find I'm the more connections, interested in. Find the history behind it. That I quite like that one for that. I think those that. that's a bit more that's um, a bit more sinister, a bit creepier. Yeah, I think those stories hold a bit more weight. On to my film round. Mm. My film collection. Oh, I'm getting so, through these drinks now. <laughs> you might be in for some luck here, Jack. So what I have here <laughs> I've got a list. Yes. Of ten famous movie props or costume pieces. These are the ten pieces that have fetched the most at auction. These are the ten most expensive pieces of movie memorabilia that have ever been sold. Uh, This comes from... This is a list in a 2017 Guardian article. Okay. So as of 2017, these were the ten. Right. End of twenty, like when in twenty seventeen? I'm trying to pinpoint. I believe it was August. <laughs> Fucking hell! Okay, you actually have that information. Okay. I think realistically they're going to be from films years old. Oh yeah, if yeah, they've yeah, gone yeah. for that much. Yeah. Nostalgia's the yeah, biggest they price. There's, there's not like later. Unfortunately, there's not like Iron Man's helmet or something like that. It's all. Uh... <laughs> anyway, sweet. I'm gonna I'm gonna give you the list. Um, we have Steve McQueen's racing suit from the film Le Mans. Which had been, I can't remember the name of the kid, but a 12-year-old won it in a competition and kept it for decades before it was sold at this auction. Uh, this 12-year-old kid, like, not 12 anymore, but he sold it. And got I, it didn't clarify in the article and I couldn't find any other information, but right. that's just what it said in that article. There is uh, the lion costume from The Wizard of Oz. Amazing. Uh, the Do Re Mi outfits, as they were described in the article from The Sound of Music. Ooh, so okay. what um, Julie Andrews and the kids wore. Oh, all of them? Yep. The whole set? The whole set. Wow. All together. Uh, the flying car from Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Oh my god, I really want that car. Well, you're gonna have to... It was bought in 2011 by DJ Chris Evans. <laughs> of course oh, wow. it was. He's a massive car He's a massive car nut, yeah. Dorothy's ruby slippers. 
Oh, okay. They were one of four known to exist. Wow. Um, one of four, one of four known pairs, um, and another. This was bought by a single collector, but I believe people uh, clubbed together from the industry. So Leonardo DiCaprio, Steven Spielberg, a lot of people clubbed together. Um, I, I believe they bought a pair which are now in the Smithsonian. Fucking hell! Imagine being one of those people, like having to come together with some of your other famous rich friends. How much? Do you have the prices? Uh, yeah, but we'll get to okay. that. Um, there is Audrey Hepburn's black dress from Breakfast at Tiffany's. Very mm. famous dress. Wow. Mm. I'm sensing the theme. I know I said a lot of the movies would be old, but a lot of these movies are all very early in the film world. Uh, there is also Audrey Hepburn's ascot dress from My Fair Lady. Wow. Big hat, big flowing white dress. Very famous. There is also Marilyn Monroe's white dress from The Seven Year Itch. Oh, amazing. Very famous scene of the yeah. skirt billowing up. Is it that, the skirt billow dress? Yeah. Or is it like, oh. um, the Maltese Falcon from the Maltese Falcon. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, James Bond's Lotus Submarine car oh. from uh, The Spy Who Loved Me, as well as the DB5 from Goldfinger. Oh, my God. Are among, those are the 10, the 10 most expensive... Film pieces of film memorabilia ever auctioned off. Now, what I want you guys to do is pick the three that you think were the most expensive, and whoa. whoever gets the most. What if none? What if neither of us get any? Then you both lose. Oh God! Brutal, classic Luke. I am an uncompromising quiz, uh, quiz master. Oh, we, and we can't work together. Oh, go on then. I'll let you work together. Ooh, see if do you, you want to work together? Jack? See if you can come up with the three together. Yeah, okay, let's 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 work together. Top, let's the top three. Right. Right. Controversial. I think the most expensive are Dorothy's shoes. I can see that. If there's only one of four one pairs. of four pairs. And they are like the thing about that film. They are the yeah. most important aspect of that movie. I mean, the lion costume, I can't imagine that going for a lot. It's a sweaty costume. I mean, it definitely went for a lot. It went for a lot, yeah. Jack. Let's not, let's not fuck about it. That thing went for a lot. I think the DB5, because not only is it a fully functioning car, I'm pretty sure that Aston Martin had a deal with James Bond, so they created it as a unique prop for the film. Also, they may have made three or four of it. So I reckon mm. not only will it be a fully functioning car that ha- is made by Aston would it Martin. Work? Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, it was, I don't it was think actually it fires driven. rockets, but <laughs> yeah, it will have a button that lets the front headlights spin open. over, or anything you saw in the film, it will probably have that. Or different variations of the car will have, but I'm presuming the one which sold for the most was the most intact, yeah, least fucked up by being on set kind of thing. I've actually seen you know you know the car from Casino Royale, the world record for number of car flips. Oh yeah, the DBS. That's that's in James Bond Museum in London. I've seen it. The actual wreck. It's so. Like, imagine taking an Aston Martin and flipping the fuck out of it. Yeah. It was so cool. That's so cool to see as a as a film nerd. Right. So okay, we've got we've got the. You, do you think the shoes as well? I think you, let's have you pick the shoes. I'll pick the DB5, and then let's create a wild card. Okay. Because you know the way that these things work. There's going to be something that's weird. 
in there that ends up winning, like being in the it's top. It's either weird or pervy. So Marilyn Monroe's dress. Yeah, that's true. Sex I mean, really sells. Sex does really sell. I mean, this podcast sells itself because of the hosts. So <laughs> we are sexy bastards. <laughs> Don't worry. I'm, that's why I'm in. I'm here to keep you level-headed. Don't worry. Yeah. Those are three. I don't know. As soon as you said sex stuff, my head went back to the lion costume. Because <laughs> it would probably smell of the dude as well. I'm surprised that I I I don't think it's one of the cars. I don't. I, I I'm I'm turning I'm turning around on that on the Aston. You don't think the cars are in the top three? I don't. Think either the, of them. I don't think either. Of the the cars. Lotus is not just a car though; it is also a submarine. No, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> if if a car was going to be in the top three, it's going to be Back to the Future DeLorean, isn't it? And that's not even on the list. Hmm. No, but but Back to the Future DeLorean was basically a DeLorean with stuff stuck in it. Yeah, but it goes back in time. And forwards. <laughs> and forwards. Well, that, the, it the goes thing back is, so to the future. The the different with the cars mentioned. And the it Chichi flies. Bang Bang it flies. Car. If that fucking Lotus is a submarine, that car can fly. No, but this thing, the Lotus was made for the film. It's not an existing car that existed that they've adapted. It was a car made for James Bond. Okay, then the we'll DB5 put... will have outfitted versions, and it's the most iconic James Bond car is Yasser Martin DB5. Okay, then if we, um, if we... I, w- I would argue that point as well. Okay, but. Discard the James Bond cars, throw in Chitty Chitty Bam Bang. That... Chris Evans, he's got a lot of money, but I don't think he'd like he's I paid a lot for it. He spends a lot most... of money on cars though. He's like he's got a lot of cars. A lot of cars. Yeah. And he was in the nineties, like in his prime. He'd have made a lot of money. I'm and, still saying D V five. And it's fucking Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. That's a boat right. and a plane and a car. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna <laughs> put some pressure on you now, guys. What are your top three? Right, I, I'm 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 gonna say the shoes, the red the red slippers. I'm gonna start keep with the DB5. DB5. And are, are we keeping uh, Monroe's dress? Yeah, I think Monroe's dress is the wild card, but it's probably the safe option. Yeah, okay, so we're going with that. Monroe's dress. Marilyn Monroe's dress from the seven year itch. We're yeah. going for the DB5. Uh, from Goldfinger, and yeah. it's driven by James Bond, and we're going for Dorothy's ruby slippers. Yes. Okay. Can, the, you, if, can you just tell us, are any of them right? The least expensive on the list I have is Dorothy's ruby slippers. Oh, I'm sure that would be a thing. <laughs> Sold for well done, 666,000 US dollars in the year 2000. So if you were playing Pointless, are we doing alright? Uh, the next is How Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. They were six hundred sixty-six thousand. So, and this is a list of the top ten most expensive. That sounds really cheap for a top ten. It's, it's over half a mil for a oh, pair they, of shoes. Yeah, yes, I know that. But I, I, if I had the money, I'd pay more than that for those. A the uh, second cheapest was the Chitty Chitty Bang Bang car. Oh, yes. uh, Chris Evans paid eight hundred and five thousand dollars. Next cheap, was cheap. Hepburn's black dress, uh, sold in two thousand six for eight hundred and seven. Eight hundred and seven. Uh, eight hundred seven thousand. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Next was the Lotus submarine car. 
Oh, good call, Jack. That good was called by Elon Musk. Of course it was. In, is it in space now? Of course it in twenty thirteen for eight hundred and sixty thousand. I don't know Elon what he's Morris? done with it, but apparently he's a big fan of Bond. Of course he is. He thinks uh, he is Bond. Next was Steve McQueen's racing suit from Le Mans, mm-hmm. sold for nearly a mil. At uh, 984,000 in 2011. Uh, number five was the Do Re Mi outfits and the Sound of Music, sold for 1.56 million. 1.56? Well, to be fair, that is like eight costumes. Yeah. In 2014. Wow. Uh, the next one is the Lion costume from The Wizard of Oz. Oh, we're the... doing so well. Have we got it? Have we fucking smashed for it? 3.07 million. Have we got the light? In we got the 2014. Top? Next, we have Audrey Hepburn's Ascot dress. For 3.7 million. Wow. 3.7? 3.7 million dollars. Unbelievable. After that, we have the Maltese Falcon from the Maltese Falcon. <laughs> that <laughs> sold for, in 2013, that sold for 4.1 million US dollars. Holy shit. Wow. And Sorry, uh, when... How, how far up at the... How many were that? They were... That was third. That was third. No way! So no way! So we managed to get the top two. We've got the top two, Monroe, Jack! Monroe's white dress and the DB5 from Goldfinger both sold <laughs> in uh, 2011 for the Monroe's dress, 2010 for the Goldfinger car for 4.6 million US dollars. Wow. we got the top two, mate! Nice. I'm nice. going nice. to give you that. Yeah. I'm going to let you win that. However, there was one more item on the list. This was actually a list of 11. And the most expensive thing, the most expensive piece of movie memorabilia ever sold at auction for 5.375 million US dollars yeah. is Robbie the Robot from Forbidden Planet. <laughs> Sorry. Wow. Uh, this isn't. I he know. Made I his know. film debut in Forbidden Planet in 1956, and would later appear in both the Twilight Zone and the Adams Family, and is worth more than the Goldfinger DB5. Is it a working robot? It's worth more than the Lion costume and Dorothy's ruby slippers combined. Does it do anything? It's just a costume, from what I can tell. Right. That's. Fucked. This is I a mean, film I'm, I haven't seen. I haven't seen. I it. know nothing about. Like I, apart from this now, this fact right now. Seen the picture of Robbie, the robot. I have. I know what it looks like. I would have taken a stab that it was from Forbidden Planet, but it could have been lost in space is, or any of the hokey fifties sci-fi. Stuff. You know what it's made of? It's not gold. <laughs> I, I assumed as much. <laughs> I mean, we're talking. Well, fifth, when was it made? Nineteen fifty-six. Yeah, something fifties. It's, it's it's not modern technology, so they'll probably try to get, at least get it made of metal. The, I would have thought so to make it look like a a real robot. <laughs> a real robot. Amazing. I think the uh, the other stat is like, how was it auctioned? Because there might, be, of course, be a charity auction or something like that. Very true. In which case, people may inflate because the price. It's a very good point because the uh, collection of Hollywood bigwigs that bought the other pair of Dorothy shoes actually ended up paying more 
but that pair that was in the list was, as I clarified at the time, a single collector. And he's just finished off the Godfather. <clears throat> and he's still got a couple of sips left on both the Sour and the Rob Roy. I think that, I mean, there's that, that two was, sequels to that the was Godfather. My favorite. That was my favourite. So... <laughs> he's right, next is the Godfather Part 2. <laughs> <laughs> By all means, fill it up. Finish your others and then you can have your dessert. I'm going in ranking. I'm going in <laughs> ranking order. So next is the Sours. Our, Very excited. Our first ever guest our on the podcast. first guest on the podcast to bring oh. something to the table. I'm excited for both of us to learn something so at the same I. pace. This is going to be amazing. So, I, I thought... It, it want, I wanted it to be something that was a little educational, um, could generate discussion, and something we'd all three of us would relate to. Okay. So I looked at like my fields of study, what do I know about, and I did some research into comedy. More like more focused on a certain particular kind of humour that is very, very, very widespread at the moment. It's that is the meme humour. Ooh, okay. Bear and in mind that like that I I'm a comedy genius. I mean, obviously. And I'm really not funny at all. He's not. He he tells me this I, every day. I'd noticed. I come downstairs and I say, Luke, I'm a comedy genius. And he goes, yeah, I'm not. Yeah, it's what makes you work so well. Yeah. It, you balance out as kind of just, just above average. So. I'm so He's, drunk right now. <laughs> I'm so drunk right now. Oh my god, I'm not even finished. I've finished one drink. Oh my god. So, meme humour... The the idea of using images to surpass jokes, um, widespread images that can be shared amongst friends that relay stuff. It's quite a new field of humour. It's been around for a lot longer than anyone thinks. If you think back to the graffiti at Pompeii of dicks, pics and things like that. We've used images for humour and sometimes... The the term going viral is very much a modern phrase, but it also describes things that have been around for centuries. So one of the earliest viral things that went round was keep calm and carry on, for example. Oh, it, that started things. as... Yeah, now that it's it had a resurgent, it started off as a bit of propaganda. It went round, oh, keep calm and do that. And it was like, it was actual government advice but there's tales, there's there's various diary entries, there's a uh, public record of people saying keep calm and do something like they'd insert their own thing. And it, it, it was a known joke because they were kind of taking the mick out of the propaganda at the point. Oh, so um, it was, and everyone it was, knew it, that. That was a joke before everyone started making their own posters of, of this. Before yes, it became a, yes. a, a um, thing you when had it was to buy what, when you went to London. Yeah, yeah. Keep calm and carry mm-hmm. on. And, and keep yeah. calm, have a cup of tea. Mm-hmm. So people and, people, uh, were, people were saying that to each other just for a fucking laugh. Yeah, because it it was a topical reference that everyone knew. They all knew of the the slogan. Was it a, um, was it a war slogan like a World War One World War Two thing or? Uh, I believe it was the the actual phrase of "keep calm." Uh, I, I looked into it and it was a rabbit hole. I didn't jump down. It's it was used in the war. Uh, as a which, government piece of advice. Which one? I believe it was World War Two. Okay. It's a very British thing, and apparently it is off... I don't know if they based that on um, a speech. There was a king in the 1800s from the brief bit of 
rabbit hole than I did before I pulled myself back out was a king who had in a speech we must keep calm and carry on and we like you don't know particularly because a lot of it isn't recorded like in today's media yeah. you don't know if someone based it on that or if it's just because it is a very British thing to yeah. say it's much catchier than stay alert yeah <laughs> <laughs> so um, one of the most common things you hear with meme humour is a lot of people don't like memes or don't like this new brand of humour. So humour's been very much railroaded in the past 20-30 years. Humour, the types of comedy there were that were mainstream, often rotated in and out. You used to have like one-liner comics who would spend five, six, seven years and where everyone was telling each other one-liners. And then the main comedians would switch around to observational, or you might get some surreal or some sketch comedians. And they tend, they'd enjoy their time at the top and then they move on. And then because of the birth of VHSs, of recorded television comedy, observation is kind of stuck because observation is the most unique form of comedy you can have. Mm. If you think of a one-liner, as soon as the television came out, a one-liner comic couldn't really keep producing the same material. I love one-liners. One-liners are my favourite. Yeah, but the problem with one-liners is once people have heard it, it's then either attributed to you or other people will steal it. So you might get a group of people who've never been to your show and they might know 50% of your jokes because by the time you've toured the nation, those jokes might have all been told in pubs and then become part of the national lexicon. Whereas observational is massively lenient. It relies on the the joke teller, it relies on the storyteller as it being a situation that they themselves, they've crafted this story. And you don't get people in the pub um, so it's more or, in the performance and the delivery of the joke rather than in the writing yes, of it. Yes, yeah. So you don't get people imitating that kind of joke. So it, that very much enforces the idea that this person is funny. Whereas one-liners often have that they create very, very funny words and their delivery might be 50% of the joke, but the problem is those words themselves are very funny. So what meme humour does is it actually... The way I describe memes when you look at them like from a comedian is they are in jokes that exclude a lot of people but include a lot of others however it is the height of our of the world we live in at the moment where we assimilate so much information we're spending less time focusing on it what a meme does is it is it's the setup so if you think to a picture let's say do you remember the um bad luck brian meme for example I know the term. I don't. I probably know it if I saw it. I don't remember, like just by the name of it. It was. It, yeah, it's, it's one of those back when the memes were an image of a thing or a person with a colourful background, and then yes, text over um, back with Brian. I, rem- I remember there being a a, a, a Steve. There was um, Scumbag Steve. I remember I'm Scumbag Steve. Steve yeah. Scumbag Steve. That was, so we're applying names that have since become Bad Luck Brian was a picture I think I believe from what I've read it's a uh, yearbook photo mm. of a guy, he's got braces he's oh, pulling a bit yeah, of an awkward smile yeah, yeah, yeah. and it would have text above it, the top line would be for example, I've got an example here that says, had my first kiss and then the bottom of it is, got the girl pregnant Yeah, yeah. now the text there isn't funny on its own it's it's a bit oh I can see where the joke is. the joke comes from the picture in the background which is an entire joke set up you were because this this person's gone viral everyone who sees this picture goes 
this is a character we know he he experiences bad luck so it's a setup to a joke and then the text is the punchline yeah okay be- i get that it's it's a great way of how we've evolved as a species is our jokes no longer we don't have a good like if you look at Rodney Dangerfield he was a classic classic comedian so many of his jokes took about 8 minutes to tell because he loved the he loved the storytelling aspect we don't have that as a society anymore we will watch a video for about 20 seconds and then decide if we're going to continue watching it we assimilate so much information the meme is just how we tell our jokes in that so there's other photos other memes if you think of a uh, do you know the the guy who's caught checking out another girl and yeah. his girlfriend's at the yeah. stock distracted photo boyfriend, distracted boyfriend yeah distracted boyfriend that can tell you all you need is three different things and it tells a joke yeah it yeah. tells a, how and like in the 90s that might, joke might be told um oh i was going to do my dissertation but then i got distracted with researching something that wasn't my dis- it's not a funny joke but why we laugh like the humor in them isn't always advanced the reason we laugh is because it's an in joke and the psychology behind in jokes is we laugh because we feel accepted and a lot of i'm like without risk a lot of younger people who who have grown up with this humor know all the memes and will pick up the new ones and it's kind of a way of just sharing an in joke as well you don't need that setup anymore you share it and a it also is why a lot of people don't like it because we hate feeling exclusion. Humor, the laughter response, the whole reason we formed laughter as humans is to show that we are part of the same group. So we laugh at people to include them in our tribe. Yeah. And it's why it's it's like in its base terms, I could go into this for a long time, but in its <laughs> base term, it's why you often get women comedians are told, oh, you're not very funny by men because psychologically there's a disconnect of us and them mm. so we we're wired not to find other people them funny yeah. but we're wired to find us funny and that's kind of what the meme humor does is it just really brings people together it's an in joke that not everyone will get and it makes you feel a bit special it's a setup that is told with just an image you can process that entire setup in a millisecond by seeing the image and then it's a it's a punchline that's often quite silly but we find it a little more funny than we would find that joke told anywhere because some people might not get it. And it's a really fascinating area of comedy and people often dismiss it. And I don't think that's necessarily the right thing to do because it's it's definitely stuck around. It has. It's, it's, it's such a bizarre way of telling a joke though because you're right and it makes sense because the first time I see a new meme crop up on Facebook or Twitter or Reddit or wherever. I don't you don't find it funny the first time you see it. You go, Oh, it's a new meme, I don't quite get it yet. It's only after you've seen it crop up in with a, a couple times, of with different different punchlines. Yeah, with different punchlines that you start to laugh at it. I do have a tiny little game if you Oh want. yeah, yes, you love a game. Yeah. We love a game. I'm going to read the text from memes and you need to describe to me the image. Okay. Oh, oh. And this is well, this again, is show we how well together? It's ingrained. Yeah, we're gonna you have can to work together if you want. I I was born forty years old, so <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't know the names. I've of got memes. A, I don't know the names. Of memes. I could probably describe them. Go on. Okay. First one, nice easy one. One does not simply win an argument with a woman. This is the Boromir meme. Yeah, Luke, Luke knows this one. Yeah. He's a massive Since lot of Boromir at the yeah. uh, the Council of Elrond. One does not simply walk into Mordor. One is not simply is so it's so funny still. 
for the second the text on this meme is some of you have college degrees but still confuse there there and there that's none of my business oh this is um kermit drinking tea isn't it it is kermit drinking tea i I wouldn't kermit and spongebob have done more for memes than i think anyone else that's the none of my business kermit meme how about it's dinner time but i'm still full from lunch it's dinner time, but I'm still full from lunch. Oh, God, I don't know. That could just be me tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's like a photo of us. No, I don't know. So, this is a stock photo of a white woman crying. Um, oh, this is an old one. And it's, fir- it's called, uh, I think, First World Problem. It oh, okay. Okay. Uh, yeah. And the whole idea is... Um, she doesn't. She looks doesn't look that sad. It looks like a um, a proper first world photo stock crying photo. I do know um, that. She's just got a, tear, a single tear rolling down her cheek. Yeah. And how about I sewed my name on your shirts in case you forget you're taken. This is the clingy girlfriend. Mm-hmm. Uh, That's um, a great meme. Okay. It's. It was actually just a YouTube. It was a still taken from a YouTuber who has giant eyes, well, she, and she's she, doing she an doing awkward a, she smile. She was doing a video for I think it was a, a Justin Bieber fan site. She was doing a video for just a, like a Justin Bieber competition thing. Like she was doing it ironically. Yeah, she and was just being got picked the, up. The creepy, the creepy girlfriend. Yeah, mm-hmm. creepy girlfriend. I like, did a cover of one of his yeah. songs. I mean, okay. And the final one is my favorite meme image of all kinds I had fun once it was awful oh is this grumpy cat grumpy cat oh. I mean Luke you said that you, uh, yeah, you're I smashing this yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't know me I, I spend but more this, time this is how ingrained they are into your like I exactly. can just say you just know what seven words to you and say it's a meme and you filter the image of the grumpy yeah. cat in yeah well, that's, yeah, thanks for bringing that to the table. You've given us a lot to talk, talk about there. There was a a lot of discussion. Yeah, it was fun, that. But yeah, I enjoyed that. Yeah. What, a, what a great first guest. Yes, I fucking loved it. Thank you so much for being with us, Jack. Before we sign off, um, is there anything you'd like to plug? Is this where I should mention This is Twitch where you channel? should mention your thing, yeah. Yeah, is there, is there anything you'd like people to watch out for you, for you on? Oh, okay. Uh... <laughs> Yes, there is Luke. Wow, uh, it's as if at, I knew. At the moment, I am having fun being a Twitch streamer. We often just get carried away and chat. Uh, my name is King Argoroth on Twitch, all one word. Um, you can spell it? It's spelled as K I N G A R G A R O T H. Impressive. We'll probably have it in text form at some point. Point. We can put a link in, uh, yeah. in the description. We'll put a link in the description. We'll put everything down in the description. But yeah, it is basically me. I'm a potato when it comes to entertaining people and playing video games. So it's quite a good combination of people joining together to mock me and get frustrated at games with me. <laughs> but we have nice discussions as well. So, <laughs> what are you playing at the moment? I'm currently playing through. Phoenix Wright, which is an incredible anime based. <laughs> it's a courtroom drama where you play a lawyer and you have to defend people. It's but it's the mo- it's so dramatic. 
It is. It's so dramatic. I end up so I voice act it as I'm going along, and I literally end up at some point standing up, slamming my table because you get so into it. <laughs> um, and every Sunday I'm playing Alien Isolation, which is probably the oh, really? third best Alien film that I've seen. <laughs> it is a, it's a really good capture of the Alien films. It's absolutely terrifying. I was told it might take me about 18 hours. But then the person who told me that watched me stay in a locker and cry for about an hour. And they said, this is going to take you a long time. Mate, I'd I'd love to play that game. I want to play it in VR. I'd shit myself. Yeah, no, I can confirm it's very scary. Yeah, amazing. Jack, thank you so much for being with us. You've been a fantastic guest. I'm sure I've learned a lot. Very lovely discussion about memes. Yeah, yeah, I didn't know that much about memes. Shall we... Shall we get the fairs? Get the fairs. We've got to figure okay. out what it is Ooh. we're going to be talking about Ooh, on the next episode. Okay, so next episode it'll be you doing the... the I'll be doing miscellaneous. You'll be doing, doing miscellaneous. Bonus you'll be doing either we'll get a guest in or we'll have you doing something random. So, yeah, you go for, go for the first. I've got animals... Animals. Oh, animals. That's, a bit, that's been a popular one. We've done a lot of animals. We've done a couple of animals. Yeah. Well, well, I mean, in the test episodes. <laughs> not not really so much in the actual episodes that we're releasing. But, you know. i got art. Yay! Everyone's <laughs> favourite. Oh, no, I don't. I'm going to smash that art round. TV. Ooh. I've got TV. TV. TV and animals. Okay, well... You got some good ones there. I've got to get some thinking on some art. I've got some artists' friends. Perhaps they can help. Yes, TV and animals. Hmm. Okay. Cool. I'm going to leave those there. Thank you very much, Jack, for for joining us today. Thank you so much, Jack. It's been my pleasure. Everybody. It's been a lot of fun. Please remember to to go onto Twitch and follow King Argaroth. Uh, link in the description. Link in the description. He'll be. And while you're down there, you. pressing on the link in the description, why not? Give us a little cheeky five stars on whatever yeah, platform. Yeah, whatever you're and, watching, uh, whatever you're watching, listening yeah, on. Maybe even leave a little review. Just don't, no, don't even review. Just tell us what your favourite segment has been so far. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Give us give us five stars and say this is shit. I don't care as long as you give us five stars. Helps people find us. Helps people listen. Also, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at, at Voice for TV. I'm sure there's going to be an end segment that I'm going to throw in in our team that's going to tell you all this anyway. Yeah. But there we go. I'm saying it now. Thank you so Five much. stars. One of the hosts got drunk and got more drunk as the show went on. I am, Loved it. I am. I'm. So I feel like I've got some retribution coming. Like eventually oh, he's going to pull the drink God. card. It's gonna I mean, I've got me. animals next, so I'm going to find some. I mean, next Here's time one of you draws food, food. Yeah. go on the topic of which of these foods can be undercooked and makes you the most <laughs> ill. <laughs> Let's think, find out together. I think the next animals one is here. Try this bit of meat. Tell me what animal it is. <laughs> Some squirrel that I found yesterday on the this side is, of the road. Yeah, yeah, this is a badger. <laughs> cool. Right, thank you. Thank you so much, Jack. Thank you so much for being with us, Jack. And thank <laughs> you all so much for listening. I have been Luke, and he has been Andy, and we have been Voice for TV. Voice for TV! Thank you for listening to Voice for TV. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram. That's at Voice for TV. You can even drop us an email, voiceofatv at gmail.com. 
give us some ideas of what to chat about. I'm Andy Cantillon. You can find me on Twitter at Andy underscore Cantillon and on Instagram at Andy Cantillon. Luke still trying to sort out his social media, so hurry up, Luke. Thank you to Jack Morrison, our special guest. Find him on Twitch. He is King Argoroth. You can also find him on Twitter at King Argoroth. A special thanks to Jenny Brown for the artwork, Jack Smith for the music, and thanks for listening. Thank you. Keep 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 doing that. See you next time. You've got some editing to do, mate. There is some fucking waffle on that one. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs>